Do you like to binge watch TV? Did you know you could binge listen to podcasts? Head over to electronicmediacollective.com where they have podcasts for days. You like podcasts about wrestling? They have that. Do you like podcasts about TV and film? They have that. Do you like podcasts about horror? EMC has that too. Do you like comedy? Do you like books? Guess what? They've got you covered. Head over to electronicmediacollective.com Pick your favorite podcast today. This is Paul Taylor from Hellraiser Judgment, and you're listening to Moose's Monster Mash. Happy Holidays, Horror Hounds, and welcome to another installment of Moose's 13 Horrifying Days of Christmas. I'm your host and gift bringer, Moose. My gift for you today is the gift of salvation, or at least judgment. Without further ado, from Hellraiser Judgment and many, many other great films, allow me to introduce Mr. Paul Taylor. Why, hello. <laughs> How's it going? It's it's going. Now that you've done the intro, I've completely clammed up. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing more to say. So... When I was looking through your credits, you know, I got to say, and I, I was telling a friend of mine about this today, that it, it's interesting to see such a well-rounded actor take on an iconic role. What, what we've seen happen a lot is horror actors get kind of pigeonholed into just horror movies. Like Robert England, you look at him, he, is, he will always be Freddy Krueger. No matter right. what he's in, he's Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel Harris is always going to be a scream queen, mm-hmm. but you, I mean, you're, you didn't start out in horror. No. You know, you, you have all these other movies. I mean, hell, Sin City. Yeah. I mean, you have enough other movies that it keeps you out of that typecast of I'm a horror guy. Right. Which, right. you know, being in that, uh, typecast, I think could be detrimental to people because, Mm-hmm. When you cast Robert England for something, you know it's going to be, you know, the scary type role, or, you know, just he he's going to be in a horror movie. Yeah, but your options are a lot broader, and I think that that's really interesting to see in the horror community because you don't see that very often with actors who take on roles like I mean, mm-hmm. you. You picked up the role of uh, Pinhead, which has already been established. The franchise has been running strong for years. Mm-hmm. And you killed it. I mean, the movie was amazing. <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah. you know, I just, I, I wanted to, you know, just say it's, it is refreshing to see other people step into those horror roles and bring something from outside the genre into that style of movie. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. I mean, 
you know, this the, the role came to me later in my career because I started when I was in my 20s, and I'm certainly not in my 20s now. Um, and I, st- I used to do a lot of musical theater, you know, musical comedy and stuff like that, being funny, um, being cheesy, and uh, just make them laugh, you know. Um, and then as far as the films, when they started, uh, and, and you know, I think that theater is a great base for, for any actor to start. I, I think it, it makes you a better actor if you start in theater. Um, there are those who would disagree, but I'm the one talking. So this is me. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's your time, um, your sentiment. <laughs> yeah. I think that <clears throat> I, it's funny because I have always been so attracted to the dark side. I've always been attracted to Halloween and to, to horror movies. I've loved them since I saw, I believe the first one was Vincent Price in the abominable Dr. Fibes, or it might've been the Raven. Uh, it may have been the Raven I saw, um, in grade school nice. and yeah, like for Halloween, they showed those movies. And I remember very vividly, you know, that feeling of that, that jolt of, Oh, that gasp of, Oh, Ooh, that was chilling. That was thrilling. You know, all that. And, um, and loving Halloween. I mean, that affected the way I looked at Halloween from then on. You know, my, it's, to me, a successful Halloween costume had to be um, scary, grotesque, and unrecognizable. That's what I really liked being. I liked being a monster because there was a power to it. And there was, <clears throat> I liked the anonymity of it. And in real life, I certainly wasn't that. I was this sort of ineffectual happy sort of lumpy soft boy you know i i i didn't like exercise i wasn't good at sports i just when i discovered theater coming out of loving halloween then i discovered theater and it was by watching my dad do community theater i tried it and it was like oh i found it i found not only a way to connect to my dad but also um just what I love. I found what I love, you know, and, um, I happened to be good at it and not, not exactly as skilled as some, not as, and ultimately not as trained as many, but an innate talent. So, so it's funny that my first movie was Sin City because the types of characters I've played over the years I mean, in theater, it's been all over the place. You know, I've played romantic leading men. I've played, uh, I've played, uh, um, sort of assholes. I've played villains. That was always the most fun. Uh, but most of it has been in entertainment. It's been not anything serious. It's been, uh, you know, it's been comedies and stuff. And and then there's the musical thing because I sing. So all of that stuff does not point towards doing Pinhead. So, um, but I, I don't always, know. Now I want to see Hellraiser the musical. I do too. I want to do Hellraiser the musical. <laughs> oh my God. Somebody write it. Here I am. Doug Bradley doesn't sing. I'm pretty sure. So here I am. Hello. Hello. I'll start. I'll start vocalizing again right now. But yeah, Hellraiser the Musical, that'd be awesome. Are you listening, Clyde Barker? So anyway, because um, uh, in Sin City, what did I play? I played a worm district. I think when I went to that audition and met Robert Rodriguez at the callback, 
I think when he met me, I did my audition where I acted like Marv broke my arm in three places and, you know, fell to the ground screaming in pain and all that. And he was like, yeah, this is a guy whose arm I'd like to break in three places. I mean, I think that's the that's those kind of roles. I've played a lot and I do them very well. And and I mean, it's like, yeah, here's this here's this privileged white guy uh, in a suit. Like, yeah, we want to hurt him. Let's do it. He's kind of skinny and kind of snotty and stuff. It's like, yeah, let's let's hurt him. Um, and you know, even back then, it's like white pillage. There it is, right there. So, uh, so for me to now be playing for that to all all these years of other movies, you know, here's a hotel, here's an uptight sort of pissy hotel clerk in sin city here's i mean in soulman here's a here's a something else uh anyway just these these sort of clerical uptight types funny not big roles and then suddenly i'm pinhead it was very it's very odd that it just came out of came out of the, the, the universe you know and hit me and pinhead was always my favorite anyway of all the horror icons and so i, I will continue of course, to do whatever I can. Just I'm an actor and I just want to work. You know, if if someone wants to put me in a musical comedy, I'm going to do a musical comedy. Um, but I am focusing more on film work these days. Of course, not only because there's no theater because of the shutdown, but just I love being on film sets so much. And before I got Hellraiser Judgment, I wasn't doing that much work um, in film and TV it has raised my profile. So it's gotten, so that alone has just made more people want to work with me or just brought me to their attention. So that has helped a lot. I am still, I mean, there are some things in the works that are horror films that are, that I'm just delighted that I've sort of been pegged by this certain niche crowd that I am a horror guy, but I'm not just a horror guy. I mean, I just played a a surgeon, um, in a, in a biopic about Ronald Reagan, I, I'm, I'm all over the place and I, I'm so happy about it because as you say, you know, being pigeonholed, I, I just, I just, you didn't say this, but I really think it limits a person's um, options as far as work. It does. You know, we only want to see Robert England be Robert England in yeah. a way, you know, he's too famous. You know, I'm not too famous if you get too famous and it's for playing one role, it's like, that's, that's, that's not good for your career unless you're making a freaking fortune. And that's all that's important to you, which, you know, I wouldn't mind, but that's okay. That's not happening for me. So I'll take the other, I'll take the (laughs) versatility. I'll take the, you know, we can cast Paul as this or this or this, you know, I'm not bragging maybe a little bit, but I am, I'm tooting my own horn here. I, have been told I can play anything. So I'm like, and, and I say that sarcastically, but I also say it seriously. It's like, it's about versatility. It's about wanting to stretch yourself. It's about, I mean, in film though, it's, it's funny because in film and TV, it's harder to get roles that you're not right for. If, if that makes sense, it's easier in theater because in theater, you're further away from the camera and theater doesn't pay much. So there's, you know, uh, you have to be willing to work for not very much money. Of course, in some films you do too, but, um, uh, it's, I think 
it's I think it's easier to it, it's not as easy to get cast in film in roles that you're not actually perfect for. It's easier in theater, which is I've always thought that. I think it's strange. Well, and I mean to your point about uh, theater background, uh, yeah. that helps with you know obviously the versatility of the actor, but it really coming from a theater background gives you a chance to really hone your skills. I mean, you're playing yeah. to a crowd. You have, yeah, you have instant re- uh, reaction as to mm-hmm. if you're good, if you suck, uh, if you're funny, if you're falling flat on your face. I mean, there's it, yeah. it's definitely the place where you want to start out to, if you want to be an actor, theater, theater and improv, I think, are the two biggest bases for yeah. anybody who wants to be an actor because you get, you get that uh instant gratification of knowing okay i can do this whereas yeah. on like on a film set you're in front of a camera and so you different. have the director the, the director might like you but at that point that's like your mom saying oh you're good you should be an actor you know i mean yeah. You've already been picked for the role. Mm-hmm. So whatever they say, that's great. But you go back to theater, you have to impress people sitting in the seats. And you'll know yeah. right then if you did. Yeah. And it, it's honest feedback. It's honest, immediate feedback. Um, the thing about, yeah, that, that, that give and take between an actor and the audience in theater is there's like nothing, nothing like it. I mean, all of the performing arts are that way, but I think anything where you're, where you're using language and um, the audience is listening to the language and responding to the language and the way it's delivered and and the story it's, we're storytellers and then, and then it's over and it happened and it's in the past. You can't, you can't, hold on to it. It was an experience that you had with that audience. It will never be repeated. You'll say the same words, but it will be a different time. So it'll be, it'll, it's just, that's, it's ethereal almost. Is it, is that the right word? Ethereal? Ah, It's, it's like ether. Yeah, it's ethereal. Um, whereas with film, yeah, it's about the machines. It's about the camera. It's about the picture. It's moving pictures. It's pictures. It's forever. Suppo- yeah. I mean, I put forever in quotation marks because nothing, I mean, It's forever you know. until it's remade. Exactly. Until, <laughs> until the world explodes. So, you know, which will come first? Um, so, yeah. Film, I'm still, I have, that's another reason I'm so, I want to be, I want to do film because I, even though I've been doing it since Sin City, I still feel like I'm new to it. I feel like there's so much I haven't experienced. Whereas with theater, I feel like, no, I've done a lot. I've done a lot of that. I know what you do there. I know what you do. Um, I haven't done a play on Broadway. No, but I know what you do. I know what your job, I know what the job is. And, but with film, uh, it's, it's just, I, I just feel like my, ah, my time is running out. I'm only going to be alive 20 more, 30, 40. Let's say 40 more years. I don't think I'll be alive 40 more years, but I don't know. I just feel like, man, I gotta, I gotta 
have more, more. I'm hungry. Uh, I'm so hungry. Running out. I mean, hell, Mel Brooks is making, he's still working yeah. on projects. So, yeah. I mean. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to, if, if it's all you know and all you want to do and you told yourself it's all you can do, then that's what you should be doing. <laughs> you know? Well, that, and that actually leads me into, uh, with Hellraiser Judgment, you were in really good hands mm-hmm. uh, for that movie. I mean, Gary Tunnicliffe has been involved with the franchise since the third movie. Yeah. I mean, that's that's not just somebody who wants to, okay, I'm here, let's make a movie. He has a at all. vested interest in developing these characters and telling a story that is true to the nature of the franchise. Yeah. And, you know, albeit he, he got some flack for, uh, I think it's Revelations not being uh, perfect, but, you know, time constraints. and Yeah, well, he only wrote it. He didn't yeah. direct, so it was changed. He probably wouldn't have cast that guy as Pinhead. I don't know. But, I mean, that wasn't the only, you know, yeah. possible But then that... he comes back, and Judgment should have been... Uh, retribution because mm-hmm. i mean yeah knocks it out of the park with the writing and just the the feel of the movie it's very true to you go way back to the first hellraiser movie it has about that feel to it oh thank you and for that you, you get but the difference is you get to see more of the process that's alluded mm-hmm. to in the first movie Right, and that's what really stands out in this one. Is, yeah, you, you know, you get to see the stuff with the auditor and things yeah. like that, and that's some dark, twisted shit. I know it's so gross and twisted and, and great and, at the same time. <laughs> and great, yeah. And you, do you? I don't know if you know this. The auditor was the film was the role that I had originally auditioned for, and when I saw it on the page. First of all, it was the movie was being called Judgment, and it was a secret that it was Hellraiser. Although, in just in the description of it, it was like, in my mind, being a Hellraiser fan, I was like, this sounds like a Hellraiser movie, or maybe, <laughs> maybe it's Phantasm. I'm not sure, but anyway. Um, and then his first line in the sides was, "We have such sights to show." I'm like, it's a Hellraiser movie. So, but he was the kind of you know weird. Um, creepy middle management type that I was yearning to play. It was like, okay, I've played all these middle management guys. I've played the assistant DA. I've played the doctor. I've played the the desk clerk. I've played this. I've played that. I've played the FBI guy. Um, look at this. I can knock this out of the park. And um, then I got asked to uh, to audition for Pinhead. And let's see. I don't know where I was going with this. You know what? Gary Tonicliffe. I just, I feel so lucky. And it's because <clears throat> this was a low budget film, but he, he knew how to take that money and stretch it. He knows, he knew what he was doing. That's all. Yeah. He, he, I don't think he made a profit at all. I, I, you know, I think he, he, uh, his director fee went towards the movie. It was, ultimately only a $350,000 movie. And when you compare that to people's lists of their favorite Hellraiser movies, and some people list it like that 
I like one, two, three, maybe four. And Judgment. It's like, yeah, but those movies went to the theaters. They were they were million dollar, you know, yeah. multi million dollar movies. And and then this, come on, this guy knows what he's doing. It's a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar fan film, but it's made by a fan who happens to also be an expert in in the Hellraiser world and in how to create the makeups. And then, I mean, I felt so lucky that I looked, that I got that pinhead makeup. They made me look so good he does he did my makeup he redesigned the my costume you know um it was so cool but i agree with you that being in good hands had everything to do with the success artistic success of that movie um you know and and hellraiser fans are lucky are lucky to have it because after revelations you know people were so disappointed and leading up to revelations still it was still kind of like not i mean the franchise did okay with hardcore hellraiser fans but some of them but many of them were already at the point where oh my god what has happened to our franchise we love it so much um get clive barker back in charge which is exactly maybe what's happening in the near future Let's keep our fingers crossed. Um, I say, I've heard the rumors. You know, yeah, you hear the rumors. I have not received a phone call or an email, so I'm just like, I don't know, folks. You know, hashtag Me Too happened, and that <laughs> was when the franchise for me went bye bye. Possibly, you know, we don't know. But when the Weinstein's, I don't need to talk about that. I've talked about it so much in the past, but. <laughs> You don't need any more publicity. Uh, let's just say things were said to me on the set that made me believe I would be doing another Hellraiser movie or two or three. And then that happened, and I'm like, oh, hmm, wow. But that doesn't make me any less grateful for for getting to play Pinhead at least once and what see, it's done you for can, me. Th th this definitely was, you could tell, it was a passion project. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't a cash grab. It wasn't at all. a, uh, you know, we have to do something to keep the rights in house. This was very much made it by could, somebody who wants it, to do right by the character, right by the franchise. Exactly. You know, when he wrote that script, he was writing it for Doug Bradley. He wanted, he hates Doug. He hates Doug Bradley's last line that he ever said is pinhead, which is, how's that for a wake up call? Because it's cheesy. Yeah. Okay. And and Pinhead has been so well spoken up to that in many instances up to that point that it was like he wanted to direct Doug Bradley in a Hellraiser film. He wanted it so badly. And when and that's why that's where this passion, this fire when he was writing the script, that's where it all came from. So when all of his other ideas had been you know he'd been told no that no we're not doing that okay this script is interesting this redo of pinhead's makeup is interesting but no all he'd been receiving a lot of no's so when he finally got his chance um he had written this script and and wanted doug to do it so badly so that so but when 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 what happened happened and doug ended up not doing it then it was already his passion was already there and and uh you know i don't know if he would have if he would have still ended up playing the auditor if doug was you know maybe i would have been the auditor if doug was pinhead. i don't know it doesn't matter that's all who cares 
um, because that didn't happen. But um, yeah, Gary Tonicliffe is a great guy, and uh, I, I think what he's done for the franchise is remarkable. And it's it's a real shame that um, he might possibly never be involved with the Hellraiser franchise again. I hope he is. I hope that Clive Barker takes over. I hope that Clive Barker hires um, Gary Tonicliffe to be his lead. Um, hell, maybe he'll put the auditor in a movie script. I don't know. That's but a, I That hope, was an interesting character. Yeah, I know. And it, it opened the door for such a great sequel. I mean, that character could go on and on and be just a new major character in the Hellraiser world. But but since there's not, probably... Since there currently maybe isn't there will a be, future Hellraiser world. <laughs> maybe there will be a direct sequel to Judgment. Many people would like that to happen. Um, I sure set don't up for one. think the chances are great, but there nothing is impossible. I really, truly believe nothing's impossible, and especially in the movie business, you don't know. You just don't know until you receive your check. You know, are you on the set? Okay, then you're making a movie. You know, it's like until that happens. <laughs> Oh, all this projection of what's going to happen is like, well, yeah, I believe in manifesting what you want in your life, but certain things are out of your control. You can only put it out there and never hurt. Put it out there. And maybe it comes back in the form you want, but probably comes back in some other form. Zack Snyder got to do Justice League. So exactly. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy business, but, um, okay. I, will probably in 2021 be working with Gary Tonicliffe again and uh, on a Hellraiser movie, but well, maybe that too. Who knows? But um, it's very promising in a horror project that Gary will be directing and, and um, doing the makeup design, all that, all that stuff that he's so good at the effects and everything. And he'll have his team and, and I'm just, you know, my fingers are crossed. I, I've read a script. Uh, it's, you know, he's going through rewrites. The producers like Gary, they have a, they have a deal. It's like, I can't say more about it, but I am just, ah, uh, <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. I just, I want it so much. And I, I think it'll be a blast and it won't be me recreating, you know, me doing my version of a well-established character. It'll be me doing this character in this new script. Oh, thank God. You know, and it's a horror film. Nice. And it's a big part. Like, oh. so we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Well, let's let's yeah. talk about your pinhead. I mean, you got to see the return of the more stoic, reserved mm-hmm. uh, pinhead. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. that, that we were introduced to way, 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 way back yeah. in the first film, yeah. where he he is very much an ancillary character and he's a servant he's a servant but you know he he's he, he still has that presence yeah, and that fantastic presence my god every shot that you know every time you were on the screen it was shot well the writing was great it it, it kept the that that very stoic just almost evil posh i guess would be the yeah it it that was Gary. I mean, that was that was Gary's direction. It was also the script. I mean, it's a, it's a later time in Pinhead's existence. He has age spots. You know, it's it's a different era because, as they say in that first conversation 
we need more than just a wooden box because electronically people can sate their desires so easily that we need more. Um, and so obviously I think it's a, it's an older, more relaxed, bore, almost bored pinhead because there's not enough work. You know, there's not, he, that's why we have these shots of him just sitting on his People throne. People torturing themselves. We've never seen Pinhead sitting before. I mean, just sitting there, just waiting or listening or thinking. We've only seen him in action, basically. Mm-hmm. And and that was the interesting world that Gary wrote and opened up for us. Names are, names are escaping me right now. But it's the, you said evil posh. I'm actually um, Peter Cushing. That's it. Duh. Yeah. I'm actually, um, in a way, playing Peter Cushing uh, in Star Wars. I can in see a that. way, that's who I'm basically playing in this movie. Um, because when I went out to meet with Gary, went out to L.A. for the first time to get my head cast done for the makeup, we had our first conversation in person, and he showed me that <clears throat> that bit where um, I'm just going to use the actors' names because I can never remember the characters' names. Okay, I know she's Princess Leia, but don't ask me. Sorry, I don't know. I'm not a Star Wars expert as far as names go. They're all such weird names, anyway. Anyway, so um, Peter Cushing's saying, "Okay, we're going to destroy this thing, or we're going to destroy this thing." planets i suppose shit whatever i don't remember it's been a long time since i've seen star wars and i'm no star wars expert but i do love the movie because i was 17 working in the movie theater the summer it came out oh my god i just gave away my age completely who cares um so it was when when she says eh, they have the conversation and he says go ahead and destroy that one and princess leia goes no and he just says you're far too trusting and that was when gary stopped stopped the dvd and said right there there's your pinhead I'm like okay so it was it was just peter cushing just throwing that away you're far too trusting so that was generally the direction that that i would be that i would say to myself right before action almost every take i would just say you're far too trusting action evil seeks evil you know it was just like uh, or whatever the lines were because gary was constantly just just throw it away throw it away throw it away he knows that i've been a musical theater actor i mean that's the polar opposite of what first of all it's film second of all it has to be small you're a monster you look terrifying you don't have to do anything you know and and so you know it was a pretty simple equation um and it was fun to live there during the shoot. It was f- just so fun to be, you know, I guess method about it. I, it was in a way it was method if you want to talk acting approaches. But but uh, I don't believe in any one or the other. I think you can throw in Stanislavski and you can use a little of this and you can use a little Meisner and you can use a little of this. And you can, eh. Uta Hagen, it's all, you know, going towards the same towards the same thing you're trying to create uh, using yourself to create a character who's not you so it's like blah, strange um many roads to the same destination exactly so that's what you're seeing in that movie is you know you're seeing paul t taylor having the time of his life as this classic hollywood monster 
Yeah. Being terrified that he's going to, well, I wasn't terrified that I was going to fuck it up. I was pretty sure I wasn't going to fuck it up, but I knew I was in good hands, but it was also the largest responsibility on film I'd ever had. So there was a nervousness. There was, there was, I kept to myself very much. I just, I didn't clown around between takes or anything. I just went and I sat on my tall chair because I couldn't sit in a low chair with that costume and, and the neck piece. But, um, just, it was fun to live in that pinhead place, you know? Well, and, and uh, being pinhead in modern times. Yeah. I mean, love that. You take technology out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Sadly, we are living in the perfect, like, realm for <laughs> the character. I mean, and yeah. that's how it was in the movie. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, people's morals are a lot looser. Yeah. Uh, jaded. The, people are more jaded, sins higher. I mean, he should be yeah. having, I mean... He should be putting up, you know, rock star numbers here. Yeah, but nobody's seeking out the box. Yeah, because there are other ways of getting their jollies. You know, it's there, too there's easy. So many other ways to just buy a love doll. Yeah, <laughs> you know, violate themselves. Not there weren't love dolls in the seventies. No, anyway. it's just that they've found with electronics so many different ways to violate themselves and find the pleasure. Yeah that yeah it's like a science the box would offer and you you see that you know he's very despondent in the beginning yeah until we get to the killer which is great because he's never really the bad guy in his movies there's always another bad guy in the hellraiser movies and Mm -hmm. we get to who the actual killer is and the fire's back. That passion is back. Yes. And it's like, you want a Hellraiser movie? And Classic? he's ready yeah. to just, I mean, let loose and, you know, satiate every desire anybody would want. And I mean, that I can't say enough how much I really like this fucking movie. Uh- <laughs> thank you. God, thank you, man. Thank you. I, 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 the last, I mean, I, I can watch those last 15 minutes. Oh God. Yes. It's, and it's so all, hard, you know, all the time to talk I'm about so it and not it. blow the ending. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, ah, which with a big budget, I mean, that ending would have been so spectacular. Oh God. It would have been, you know, like something from the second movie, you know, it have been, would have been something like that, except even better because the CGI is even better now. But it also would have been, of course, natural. I mean, I always say natural effects. I like I like using the word natural. It would have been practical effects um, because that's what Gary, you know, truly believes in. Um, that's what horror movies need is practical effects. Yeah, I'm so proud of it because the, the people who want to see Pinhead do what Pinhead did best in the first movie, they get that. Mm-hmm. At the end of Hellraiser Judgment, they get it again. You know, it harkens back to the first movie, and yet it's a different situation. It's a different setup. This this female character who he 
destroys is a different element that's so been it added. It may or to, may not be an angel. Judge, I'm still not you know, entirely sure. <laughs> it's really, really cool. Yeah. It's wild, isn't it? Yeah, and um, I, I thought for sure the movie was over at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you know with, with the famous <laughs> line, and I just thought it was over. And then, nope, it's still rolling. Okay, there, there's <laughs> more. What? And I just love, you, you probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah. The auditor probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah, you know, just very, just kind of like nonchalant. Just, yeah. eh, that was probably, you know, shitty call. Yeah. You know, and then he goes, what, what can they do to us? I have nothing to fear. Yeah. Arrogance. The arrogance. Pinhead's arrogance. Pride cometh before the fall. Mm-hmm. And. That's it. Yeah, it's biblical. Listeners, you need to go watch this goddamn movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not and enough people are watching this. Instagram and oh, <laughs> shit, social media. God, I hate it. I use it. I use it. We got to use it these days. But yeah, I, I can but honestly it, say I was surprised at how well this movie came out. I mean, yeah. I got, you know, I admit, you know, the straight to video is a little worrisome at first, but then you sit down and you're watching it and yeah. you're like, well. But it's been like that since shit. the fifth movie. It's from well, five that's to why ten. That's you get Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And many of them, like you mentioned this before, many of them were, you know, we got to make a movie every five years or we lose the franchise. That was the Weinstein, that was Dimension Films. It's like, or who, other people maybe too. I don't know all the, you know, who so everybody produced that's every ever had movie. the rights to this movie. <laughs> yeah, just like Children of the Corn, which yep. was shot the same year, also in Oklahoma City by Dimension Films. It was like, yeah, we got to do this. The fact that it is such a good um, $350,000 uh best fan in the world film best fan film um when it could have just been we just got to hold on to the franchise is because of gary tunnicliffe i said i would love to see you know him at the helm of a big budget version uh, i mean me with too. with the amount of passion and like love that he budget. put into this mm-hmm. movie yeah a, a big budget version i think would blow everybody away yeah, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, the practical effects were on point. Uh, CGI was on point. Uh, mm-hmm. You believed the characters, which you don't always get in, especially later in franchise horror movies. You know, I right. mean, you, you believed the killer. You believed the cops. He's so good. He's he, so good. He really is. He's such a talented actor. And... You, there's one scene um, when they go to the uh, to the. It's kind of a funny scene, so you might not notice. But when they go to the um, the God, what Undertaker? That's not the right word. That's not the technical medical word. But you know, he's he's examined the body of the the girl who gets killed at the beginning of the movie, and and finds out that her cell phone was in. Wait, was it something? He discovered something inside her body that was. It was a cell phone that was still. I don't want to tell. I don't want to talk too much. I don't want to do any spoilers. I even at this point, however many years it's been since the movie came out, because people will want this to be a surprise. But when you see the movie, you will know what I mean. If you watch face, his acting is so good in that mm-hmm. because what's really going on in his head, as opposed to what he's showing the other two characters, it's really really good. I watched the movie with people. And they don't know 
I shouldn't have said the actor's name. Now they're going to know. Oh, no. You bleep that out. Yeah. Anyway, if you watch that actor at that moment, it's really remarkable. The actor who plays the killer is very, very good in the movie. He's really good. See, and his, if he wasn't... His reactions are on point, and he's very yeah, believable. Yeah. Yeah. And he's complex. Yeah, that the uh, trail you follow them on is super intense. Yeah. And it's, again, go back to this. You don't see stuff like that in franchise movies this far along in the franchise. I mean, you look at like Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th. Mm -hmm. You're watching to watch people get killed. It's a formula that that that's what people want. There's story. There's sustenance to this that was mind boggling. I mean, you, you sit down and you expect to watch a movie, great, but then you don't expect it to actually pull you in the way it does. Cool. And you guys did a phenomenal job of taking that the, the Hellraiser world and pulling the audience in. Like, you had to be actively, like watching and paying attention to know what's going on in the movie mm-hmm. and you're not watching you're going on the ride with them right and yeah. i think that's what stands out the most about the movie is you're not just watching stuff play out on screen you are you're on this journey with the actors with the characters mm-hmm. and especially the first time you watch it and you don't know where it's going to end up Right. Holy cow. I know. The whole world that the auditor introduces and all of that, all that processing, which is completely new and gross and wonderful Um, and not bloody. Well, a little at the a little at the end of the process. Yes. But before that, not at all. It's very clean. Um, Inside and out. Oh, God. (laughs) Must be keen on the inside, too. Oh, God. (laughs) <laughs> okay you know it's a nice rim job apparently <laughs> but <laughs> he's like oh oh wow that's never happened before my wife won't do that anyway um <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty remarkable i i'm very proud i i love it i you know i i think that you have a a core of three very strong lead actors the 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 two brothers and the and the and and the female uh, that they're all detectives right yeah they're all detectives the three detectives i i think that their chemistry is really good and that their their acting is excellent and um that is what it's compelling and it's so you know and you're watching a story about uh, you know it's 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 like a murder mystery Mm -hmm. it's it's a detective story and I it's love a, a detective, it's a detective story. story wrapped in the Hellraiser universe. And yeah, and great. the two are meshed together. And it's, I just think it's, um, it's good. It's solid. It's not too long. That's for sure. I wish it was longer. Um, but yeah, I love it. I'm so lucky to be cemented in this, in this franchise as, as part of it, as a big part of it. Um, when I first got the part, I, I received a text from one of my friends from many years ago 
uh, a theater friend who um, works all the time and, and just is a really cool guy. Uh, and he texted me, congratulations on your instant cult status. And it was just like mind blown. I was like, yeah, that's a little daunting, but it's so freaking cool. So yeah, that, that's and what it's, irreversible. Yeah. It's irreversible. That's what I love about it. It's like, no, I did that. It's there. You can't take it away from me. So yeah, you so, always played Pinhead at least once. I have always played pinhead once now. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yes. you, you, like you said, you're permanently cemented in the legacy yeah. that is Hellraiser. And, and was always my favorite eighties horror franchise too. Yeah. And Peace. as I mentioned on Facebook, a phenomenal addition to the franchise. As I've said numerous times, the movie is great. Say uh, it again. Say it again. <laughs> like, come on, give me more, give me more. Uh, <laughs> But it was nice to see that stoic uh, pinhead return. Thank you, Paul. Where, you know, he's just kind of, it's all beneath me. I have to find something to, you know, I I have to find something worth my time. And when he does, my God. His arrogance, you know, it's interesting because in the first movie, he's not arrogant. There's no arrogance. In the second movie, he, you know, breaks away. And then in the third movie, he's completely off the chain. He doesn't. He does. He is not a servant anymore. Um, so then he wreaks havoc of his own volition. And so to go back in in the tenth movie, to that's how he's different from the first movie. He's still this sort of. He's got the stoicism from the first and most of the second movie. But then. To that, he's got added this arrogance that mm-hmm. has happened over the years because he may still be serving. Um, we don't ever mention Leviathan. It's just it's like it's in the in the past almost. It's 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 a weird it's it's a strange thing. It, Hellraiser definitely the world has changed over the years and and um, gotten away from talking about Leviathan and and uh, being you know the the. Are we devil? Are we? De- I mean, are we? Are we demon or or angel? Um, we're here to give you. Sen- we're here to give you the sensation that you have asked for. Experience. It it has definitely changed to. There's sin, and it needs to be punished. It's gone from this to this. But that's that's where that's why Gary involved. You know, a higher power. With ba- he now he's he may not talk about Leviathan. But he's talking about a higher power that many people in the world believe in. So instead of being a fantasy that Leviathan is, now he's talking about God yeah. and angel, real angels. I mean, you know, if you believe in angels, I'm just saying, but real angels in, a, in this reality. And it's kind of like it's combined this with this. And it was kind of, I mean, in an attempt to get the franchise back on track. Because it was way off track. Oh, yeah. And bringing in that good receivable dichotomy really mm-hmm. sets it up for... It's relatable. Yeah. It's relatable. You know, it, that it's word. a story everybody okay. knows. Everyone yeah. knows, yeah. oh, there's good, there's evil. Well, what's interesting mm-hmm. is, w- without giving too much away, um, yeah. a point in this movie where even that gets questioned. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I love that. I love that conversation. And that was spectacular. 
I mean, up until that point, it was very clear cut. Mm -hmm. This is good. This is bad. Yeah. And then the waters kind of get muddied a little bit. Yes. And... Enter the blonde. (laughs) Yeah, and it uh, brings it a little bit more to real life, where it's not so everything's good, everything's bad. It's there very much is that gray area in between where is there necessary evil? Is there, you know, unnecessary good is, you know, it's, it sort of makes more sense that way. It sort of explains and makes it, it makes a Hellraiser movie make more sense. I say it, it sets it almost in reality Mm -hmm. and that's hard to do with that character. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he's like, what? I mean, Pinhead having a discovery, a realization, something he didn't know before. Yeah. But understanding it immediately because he's very intelligent, it's like, that was really cool. It's like, oh, I get it. I am still a puppet. Okay. No. Yeah. Nope. I don't care. I don't care. Bye. You know, really, really... Great, great motivation for what he does. I say it's, it sets it up so that, you know, yeah, he can move forward. Yeah. And, and you know, this franchise can move forward from here almost with a clean mm-hmm. slate. Or yeah. if this yeah. is the last that we've seen of the character for a while, it's a good stopping point for the character. It really is because anything can appear now. Anything can can appear from from Leviathan now any gender mm-hmm. any race it, anything I mean it's all fantasy anyway and and Clive Barker and all the comic books that people have done over the years and the fan fiction and all that stuff all of that stuff can feed into being a really great Hellraiser story or there can just be a remake of the Hellbound Heart, which we don't need. Yeah. We need more stories. Uh, so I don't know what the future, of course, obviously I don't know what the future is, but it, you're right. It did, it brought, it brought it to a conclusion that could have gone to direct sequel, but it can also be a new starting place. Um, I remember reading the script the first time and reading the very end of it. And I got, really anxious and let's just say my thought i'm not i don't want to give anything away okay i really don't but let's just say that my thought may have been akin to a line a very famous line from south park about (laughs) kenny it's in every episode oh my god kenny that's all i'm gonna say you know what i mean oh yeah and I texted that to, I didn't text Kenny, I texted Pinhead, uh, to the casting director. And he said, no, I don't see it that way. I don't see it that way at all. I don't think that's what they're doing. And I'm like, okay, I hope not. It depends on where, what the future holds. <laughs> exactly. Well, before exactly. we uh, fan out for, you know, another hour and a half, um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you have anything in the works that you can talk about upcoming projects that may um, be coming out in the next, whenever this shit's lifted? 
I did do a film recently uh, uh, called Butcher's Bluff, and it's really an 80s throwback. Um, it's got a, a new human in a mask character who's like, you know, it's, it's a slasher movie. And it, I think it's going to be great fun. Uh, I shot it in, uh, in, um, in Texas. Um, Bill Obers Jr. is in it, uh, who's, of course, the, the – the, oh, I don't remember the name of the clown right now. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, someone listening will know. But from, uh, from Billy Pond's movie Circus of the Dead um, – I wish I could remember his name. He plays the lead clown. He's an extremely talented horror actor. Um, I got to do a scene with him. Anyway, he's in it as well. Uh, but uh, the movie was written and directed by William Instone, and um, I think that it's going to please many horror fans. It's it, admittedly a, a low-budget film, but that doesn't matter. You know what? It's it's um it's going to be. I think it's going to be great. Sometimes I play a sheriff in that. It's ones. not like I play some great creepy guy, but but it's fun to play a Texas sheriff type. So I don't know, not a type, a Texas sheriff. I don't know. I'm pretty sure that's going to come out in 2021. Um, it's not quite finished. They're not quite finished shooting it yet, but almost. Then uh, I have another, and I believe that in 2021, I'm going to be involved with the same director of uh, Circus of the Dead, uh, with Billy Pond, uh, or Bloody Bill, as he is called in the, in the horror community, uh, I think I'm going to be in his next film, which is great. I'm looking forward to that. So, the, I mean, he's he's talking to me about it and telling me that I will be. So, hopefully, that's going to happen. But as as far as upcoming things, there's also this thing that I'm going to be doing, hopefully, in 2021 with Gary Tunnicliffe, uh, another horror film. But there's so little work right now that that's all I really have on the horizon. I just keep waiting for for more to happen. There, there are some, you know, I think that all the conventions that went away in 2020, um, that a lot of that is, is coming back for me. But, uh, so I'm very, of course, anxious to get back to that because I love the convention world. It's so much fun to meet fans face to face and, and have long conversations with them. And it's funny, I'm going to tell one one thing. I just had this realization. I had never watched Mindhunter before. And um, and this is a pro-fan uh, comment. This is this is nothing against the fans at all, because I love them. But I was, and it's kind of a compliment in a way. I was, I guess. I was watching Mindhunter, uh, which I, and I just started watching. I've only watched three, three episodes. And I don't know. If anyone else, um, if, have, have you seen it? Do you watch it? And uh, it's on no, Netflix. Not yet. It's it's uh it it's it starts in the fifties, I think, or maybe the sixties. But it's about um, uh, FBI agents who are studying psychology of serial killers, and um, it's fascinating. But there's this one character who's a giant. He's probably six seven and huge, and has and and. Uh, very well spoken, very articulate. He has glasses that make his eyes bigger. He never blinks, and he is—he's—he's he's a serial killer. Yeah. So, so this guy. Um, let's just say that I—he felt familiar to me. This character, who's chilling, you know, scary, huge monster in prison. They won't even take the handcuffs off of him. Is being interviewed by the S, these FBI guys, 
who are studying him for research so they can catch other you know, serial killers and understand by understanding their psychology. And at that time, it was a new science. And other people were like, no, they're just evil. No, we have to study this, their backgrounds, um, which is God knows evolved over the years, CSI. Blah, blah, blah. So um, I could have sworn that I'd seen this guy at one of my tables, the serial killer character. And maybe the actor who plays him was at my was at my table. I have no idea. But he felt very familiar to me. It's like, no, this is this is someone who is very I mean, he would be standing in front of one of my tables talking to me about Hellraiser for hours if he could. Um and and there's a real I don't know, an empathy and uh I don't know where I'm where I'm going with this. Let's just say that I said to my roommate, I'm like, this guy reminds me of someone who would possibly come up to my table at a convention and want to talk about Hellraiser. And he's playing this chilling monster who doesn't blink. It's like, that's really fascinating to me. I mean, who knows who I've talked to at one of my tables? You know, have I talked to serial killers? Possible. <laughs> but I just think it's really... I don't know. I liked it. It made me feel good to have that realization. I just felt like I'd talked to him before. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe I did. I don't think I talked to, you know, I, I think I might have talked to the actor who played the role at a convention. Interesting. Maybe not. But it was just very like, wait, I know you. I know this psychopath. It was, it was, it was bizarre. It was a neat though. It was neat though, because the world is diverse, you know. And uh, yay, yay, serial killers, yay! <laughs> Everyone has their favorite. Everyone has their favorite. So Everyone it's has such a weird thing to for what they you know, fanboy over, but everyone has their favorite serial killer. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's true. Where can uh, fans keep up to date with uh, things you have going on and stuff? Oh yeah, of course. Um, Best thing is probably Instagram. Um, it's the only one I really enjoy doing, uh, which is the real Paul T. Taylor. <laughs> I'm at the real Paul T. Taylor because you know so many people are trying to be me. And uh, uh, but also I do have a, fan, a Facebook fan page, um, Paul, where I'm um, Paul T. Taylor. I'm on Facebook as well as Paul Taylor. That's my personal page. But I'll you know allow just about anyone to friend just about anyone there uh i don't really do twitter i do have um uh um a website as well which is paultaylor.com so there you have it listeners all you have to do to find him is by following the links in the episode description and you could find me along with other great podcasters on electronicmediacollective.com or on twitter at the handle moose media inc sounds like i'm talking to myself now Paul, it was a blast uh, <laughs> chatting with you. <laughs> you too, Paul. Paul and Paul talking. Um, really, thank you. This was oh, um, thank you. This this, this is this is great fun. It, it was great to geek out over. Uh, no, I mean just from both sides, just geek out over a movie. Yeah, yeah, I do geek out about it. Still, there are some stories I don't want to repeat, but I don't repeat them. Like, I don't want to talk about that. It took two hours, okay? The makeup, two hours. There. <laughs> Done. See, listeners, Sorry, you got it anyway. Kind of snotty. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I 
fully understand it's especially watching interviews that you get you hear the same questions over and over again yeah it's like how long you you in makeup how you know yeah i uh, mean it's it's a it's a it's a fine question to ask if you don't know and so that was kind of rude of me but it's like ah, i I could see where it gets repetitive next (laughs) i wasn't on the list (laughs) (laughs) i might have gone off on it no i would have judged you that would have been good tv i would have judged you very harshly so i'm Um, glad you didn't (laughs) but yeah thanks for uh Stopping by and geeking out with me on this, and of course, w- when the next batch of movies come out, we'll get you back on and geek out some yeah. more about your new movies. I'll let you know as soon as I can talk about this other stuff that I have going. I mean, this thing with Gary Tunnicliffe is very exciting. It's an exciting development, and I'm sure that the thing with uh, Bloody Bill will also be exciting to talk about. So, exactly. but right now I can't. Can't wait! Yay! And Jesus wept. Until next time, horror hounds, mash on. (laughs) Hope you enjoyed today's episode and you don't lose that spirit. Come back tomorrow for another of Moose's 13 horrifying days of Christmas. Or Krampus will come for your soul. (laughs) 